You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Election College, episode 179, William Henry Harrison, Old Tippecanoe. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Jason, we have talked about William Henry Harrison at length many different times. We've actually visited some important sites to his presidency or his life, I guess you could say. Now it's time to actually do a little more in-depth study on William Henry Harrison, good old Tippecanoe, the man, the myth, the legend, <laughs> uh, the setter of many different records as far as the presidency goes. Let's do it. Yeah. Harrison, his name is all over the Cincinnati area because, well, he spent a lot of time here. And it's interesting to talk about Harrison because, yeah, you hear about him getting sick, and we might get to that, but wow, what a life. Yeah, so William Henry Harrison was, well, he had quite the prolific life before he was president, so let's not just jump right into that. He <laughs> was the youngest son of Benjamin Harrison V and Elizabeth Bassett Harrison. Uh, there were actually six others that were uh, children alongside William Henry Harrison, you know, also known as brothers and sisters. I couldn't get this. <laughs> the sibling, that's the word I couldn't get out. Uh, he was born back on February 9th of 1773, and uh, he was born in Virginia in uh, Charles City County. So the, the family came from a, a pretty prominent English family, and they had all been in the Americas or the colonies since the 1630s. So, you know, this family goes way back. All British subjects, pretty influential as well. As a matter of fact, Harrison was, spoiler, the last U.S. president born as a British citizen. So that's interesting because last week we did the first one born after, uh, born not as a, a British citizen, and this week the first, the last one that was born as. So, so later we'll find out, and I guess this is another spoiler alert. But Harrison was kind of seen as that Western rugged guy, you know, the whole. I'm going to go out and explore and see what the interior of the country is like. Uh, he actually was brought up in the home of somebody who had signed the Declaration of Independence. Yeah, Benjamin Harrison V. He signed the Declaration of Independence and was the fifth governor of Virginia. And that was all during the American Revolutionary War. And his older brother, Carter, represented Virginia in the U.S. House of Representatives. So Benjamin was the recipient of a fine education. He was tutored at home, and then he went to Hampton Sydney College, which was a Presbyterian school in Virginia, and he remained there until 1790, where 
He learned Latin, Greek, logic, and debate. And interestingly enough, Benjamin, his dad, withdrew him from the college because there was a revival going on in the school, which I guess a <laughs> Presbyterian uh, revival isn't a good thing if you're an Episcopalian. And that's exactly what Benjamin V was. So Harrison goes to a boys' academy in Southampton County, and then his dad gets him transferred up to Philadelphia for medical training. And I didn't know this, Ben, but uh, this would be very relevant to your neck of the woods. Harrison uh, was a roommate with Robert Morris at the University of Pennsylvania, and he studied medicine under Dr. Benjamin Rush. William Henry Harrison actually didn't enjoy studying medicine. So it was probably kind of a relief when... uh, so he he starts his medical studies in 1791, and then shortly after that, his father Benjamin passes away. So William Henry Harrison, he's 18 years old. He is uh, the you know the legal guardian of a younger sibling, and he realizes you know what we don't have enough money to keep me going to school. So he leaves school and goes for a military career. So starts out on the path to be a doctor or at least in the medical field. And, uh, yeah, ends up going into the military. So his father's friend, Governor Henry Lee III, who you can imagine why they were friends, because both in the political scene, uh, he finds out about Harrison's situation. And he's like, you know what? You should join the military. I know you're already thinking about it, but let's do it. And 24 hours later, uh, (laughs) he's commissioned as an ensign in the U.S. Army. And uh, he initially, and this goes back to what Jason was talking about, gets assigned to around Cincinnati, um, where, you know, the, the whole Northwest Indian Wars going on. And then quickly he gets promoted to lieutenant. Uh, and uh, this is due to some demise of other individuals, but uh, who had vacated the, the scene previously. And uh, quickly just moves on up through the ranks. Yeah, he was promoted uh, to a lieutenant under the command of Major General Mad Anthony Wayne in 1792. And following a disastrous disease under Arthur St. Clair, uh, that's when that happened. And in 1793, Harrison becomes Wayne's aide-de-camp. Now, Harrison is just doing all kinds of things in the military by way of defeating Native Americans. So he was there, uh, like Ben said, in the Northwestern or in the Northwest Indian War. And that was very successful for the United States. And Harrison signed the Treaty of Greenville. And in all of that, the Native Americans ceded a portion of the lands that they held to the federal government, and that is known as a large portion of Ohio. So in 1793, Harrison's mom passes away, and he inherits a large portion of his family's Virginia estate. And he acquires a couple of slaves as a result, and he's like, well, I'm out here in Ohio, guys. I tell you what, let me sell all of this to you, bro. So that's exactly what he does. He sells 
his portion of the family's estate, and he does what any normal red-blooded American on the western frontier would do. He finds a young lady to marry, and that was Anna Tuthill Sims, and she was from North Bend, Ohio, which is right there on the state line, or should we say territorial line, between Ohio and Indiana. Now, what we need to know about Anna Sims is that she was the daughter of John Cleve Sims, and Judge Sims was a colonel in the Revolutionary War, and he was a representative at the Congress of the Confederation, and was a pretty big and influential guy around Ohio, and you'll see that last name all over the place, right along with Harrison, right? So Harrison asks the good judge for permission to marry Anna, and the judge says, no, thank you. But they get married anyway. So on November 25th of 1795, William and Anna marry, and they say, see a judge, and we're going to go and live the military life. So a couple weeks later, there is a farewell dinner for General Wayne, and Anna's dad comes back and says, all right, William Henry Harrison, because that's what everybody called him. They called him by all three names, of course. Just like uh, he comes in and says, all right, William Henry Harrison, um, what exactly do you intend to do to be able to support my daughter and the family and everything? And Harrison responds, by my sword and my own right arm, sir. And uh, you can imagine that didn't really appease Anna's dad, but uh, he ends up selling them 160 acres of land in North Bend. And really, um, her dad doesn't ever accept him until he becomes like a success in the military and on the battlefield. Moving on, William and Anna, obviously this isn't directly chronological here, but they end up having uh, 10 children, uh, some of them very young, some of them living on into adulthood and everything. And Anna, who she wasn't a very healthy woman, she had a lot of pregnancies and very quickly, uh, she actually um, did end up living past William Henry Harrison and uh, lived to be quite a, quite a ripe old age. So interesting that you know, even though she was in poor health, she ended up living longer than her husband. Yeah, very interesting because in a lot of cases, we see the presidents at actually outliving their wives. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we kind of take it for granted now that the, the ladies live longer than the gentlemen, but that wasn't necessarily the case. It was really rough on the ladies to have so many kids and you can imagine the infant mortality rate but then also how many mothers died giving childbirth and what kind of physical toll that would have had on their bodies in an age where medicine was so well i would i would venture to say primitive Mm -hmm. (laughs) they they didn't know what germs were (laughs) at that time so uh Back to William Henry Harrison. We don't really have a good name. I mean, what you can say old Tippecanoe, but he wasn't known as that until later. And There's too many William presidents to really make that a good one, to call him Willie or something. Yeah. So William Henry Harrison it is. He resigns the military in June of 1798, and he starts his political career. He is campaigning 
with friends and family for a post in the Northwest Territorial Government, and he receives a recommendation to replace Winthrop Sargent, who was the territorial secretary who was stepping aside, and President John Adams, we can say his mm-hmm. rotundity. Somebody, somebody gave us a comment this week, Ben, who said, every time we say his rotundity, we should mm-hmm. have a drink, and it would be hilarious to see what would happen. Um, I think it would be deadly, probably. It probably yeah. would. So w- we are going to abstain. <laughs> Uh, at least I will. <laughs> but anyway, what we need to know is his rotundity appointed William Henry Harrison to be the territorial secretary for the Northwest Territory. And that was in July of 1798. So during this time, Harrison serves as acting territorial governor, while the governor, Arthur St. Clair, was catching fish or something. <laughs> I don't know what he was doing. It's on but, vacation. Yeah, but he did have friends in high places. Uh, another friend would have been uh, Timothy Pickering, who was the Secretary of State. And um, yeah, it was a, a good time for William Henry Harrison living way out west. Indeed. And, and Harrison, speaking of living out west, has a lot of friends in the east as that's where he comes from. And a lot of them are in the more elite social circles. And all of them kind of quickly see him as, oh, he's the frontier man. He's the guy who is, uh, you know, blazing the trail throughout the West. And I mean, he did have some of those types of attributes. He ran a successful horse breeding enterprise and, of course, a lot of people in the Northwest Territory knew about him from that. Uh, he was a, the guy who was all about getting land, uh, which is a really large concern for people who were settlers at that time, uh, getting it at really low, reasonable prices. And the, the Cong- Congress at the time had actually made a policy that had you know, kind of led to way higher costs, which people disliked. So uh, having the ability to, to negotiate those prices down really helped Harrison when he decided to um, run for election. And so he campaigns and says, I'm going to help encourage people to migrate. I'm going to uh, you know, lead these, these territories onto statehood. I want to really make sure that it's affordable and people can expand. And that's how he... Uh, he really gets his name out there. So when he's 26 years old in 1798, he defeats Arthur St. Clair Jr. And if you remember the name Arthur St. Clair, it's because Jason said it about three minutes ago, talking about the guy who was the <laughs> governor of the territory. He beats him by one vote and becomes the congressional delegate for the Northwest Territory. And it's kind of interesting, Jason, to think about how there were delegates for the territories. I mean, I know we kind of have mm-hmm. uh delegates now for territories, but we don't think about them as much because they don't have a whole lot of sway when it comes to government. But uh, at the time, being a delegate for the Northwest Territory, being the first one ever is a pretty big deal. Yeah, it is. It's a completely different set of circumstances. When you think of a territory today, you think of, well, they don't get representation 
except in the primaries, right? Mm -hmm. On the presidential races. But yeah, uh, it was a bit different because the country was, well, everybody knew that Ohio was eventually going to become a state. Indiana was going to become a state and so on. And really, it was only, what, 1803 that Ohio entered the Union. So they're prepping for this. And William Henry Harrison was at the forefront being elected as a congressional delegate. So he serves in the 6th United States Congress from March of 1799 to May of 1800. He goes on and promotes the passage of the Land Act of 1800, and that makes it easier for settlers to buy land in the territory. And with all of the great deals that Ben was talking about, he is getting all kinds of notoriety in Washington. In 1800, his rotundity appoints Harrison as the governor of the Indiana Territory, and he was a little hesitant about that because, okay, so it's May of 1800. What's about to happen? Well, his rotundity is about to get kicked out of office. <laughs> and so he was a little concerned that uh, Thomas Jefferson and the gang were going to be like, hey, get out of here. You're one of uh, Adams's guys. But the Jeffersonians said, no, you're cool. Stick around, would you? And the U.S. Senate affirms Harrison's governorship over the Indiana Territory. So he resigns from Congress, and that's when he became that first territorial governor in 1801. So Harrison arrives in Vincennes, which is the capital of the Indiana Territory. Man, I am tired of saying territory, Ben. <laughs> I guess you can't edit that out because that's that's what it's called. But it's true. can we just say Indiana? I mean, you can't just say Indiana because the Indiana Territory extended all the way up to parts of Minnesota. Yeah, it's and totally different land it, than the state ended up being. Yeah, so territory it is. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Harrison continues in that role of territorial governor in 1803, 1806, and 1809. And he gains a lot of favor because he's known as a guy who's you know, sticking up for the lands out West. And he is a military guy. And this continues even until the War of 1812. So things move on throughout the years. And of course, William Henry Harrison is out doing all sorts of governor of territory things and uh, making deals with uh, different, different Native American leaders, some of which were good for the Native Americans, many of which were not, uh, at least as we look back on them today, were not. And things start to kind of escalate a little bit. And there's this Indian resistance against U.S. expansion that's growing and growing. And uh, eventually Tecumseh and Tenskwada, there's a war that, or a conflict that eventually becomes known as Tecumseh's War. And his, uh, his brother convinces all the tribes that they would be protected by the great spirit. And if they would rise up against the white settlers that, you know, they would be totally okay. They would be protected. And he encourages them and says, Hey, um, only pay these guys half of what you owe them and give up everything that has come from them. Get rid of your clothing that come, came from them, the muskets, 
get rid of whiskey for sure. We don't want any of that. And in August of 1810, Tecumseh leads uh, 400 of his uh, people to meet with Harrison in Vincennes. And they come in, they're dressed in war paints, and the soldiers, as you can imagine, are pretty terrified because they've got 400 <laughs> men in war paint that they're not familiar with their culture descending on them. And uh, Tecumseh's like, you know what? Hey, th- th- this treaty we made a few years back, it's it's illegitimate. We're not going to do that. Uh, you can't sell land without consulting everyone that would be affected by it. Uh, go ahead, nullify it, get rid of it. And Tecumseh says, hey, if you continue on this path, uh, we're going to kill all the chiefs who signed the treaty. And uh, we're going to probably kill some of you too. And Harrison says, look, people have the right to sell their land if they so choose. I'm rejecting your claim that all all of the Native Americans are uh, collectively bargained in this agreement, essentially. And you know what? Each different tribe, you can have uh, you can have separate relationship with the United States. That's totally up to you. And then uh, Harrison kind of uses some of their own language against them and talks about the Great Spirit and says, "Hey, if you guys were all supposed to be one nation, why didn't the Great Spirit make you all one nation?" And uh, this didn't make Tecumseh real happy, I guess you could say. Yeah, right. Tecumseh gives a let's say impassioned speech back to William Henry Harrison. He's like, um, I don't dig what you're saying. That's kind of what he was saying. So there was a Shawnee Native American who was an ally of Harrison's. He cocks his pistol, which alerts Harrison that Tecumseh's speech was not friendly. And there were witnesses who said that Tecumseh was encouraging his warriors to kill Harrison. And so the warriors begin to pull their weapons. And you can imagine, the the white settlers there, there were only a thousand of them. And Harrison pulls his sword out, and Tecumseh's warriors are like, whoa, 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 wait a second here. And Harrison is like, hey, what gives, guys? And Tecumseh says, well, wait a second, we're... We're here. We come in peace, and and we're gonna go back home. But before he has a chance to leave town, Tecumseh tells Harrison that unless the United States nullifies the treaty that they had made, he would align himself with the British. So Tecumseh gathers up the tribes in the area, and he tries to create a confederation to go to war with the United States. Well, a couple of years later, in 1811, Tecumseh's traveling, and Harrison is authorized by the Secretary of War, William Eustace, to march against this confederation to show them, hey, we're going to defeat you if you try to rise up against us. So Harrison leads an army of over a thousand men, and this was intended to intimidate the Shawnee to say, hey, make peace with us, right? <laughs> you will get along with us. So the tribes launch a surprise attack on Harrison's army. This becomes known as the Battle of Tippecanoe. Harrison defeats the tribal forces at Prophetstown, which is near the Wabash and Tippecanoe rivers. And Harrison 
becomes nationally known as a hero. But the truth was, is that he had a lot more troops than the Native Americans had. And they actually suffered more casualties than the Native Americans. But Harrison, when he reports to Secretary Eustace about what happened, he didn't really make it clear that the United States won. But in the second message, he's like, no, we won decisively. And we really, we took care of business, as it were. So there was some tension between Harrison and the federal government, which continued into the War of 1812. So when he is... Reporting back to Eustace, Harrison says, okay, this happens near the Tippecanoe River. Uh, I'm pretty sure they're going to come back at us just to, you know, that's what you do. If you lose a battle, you come back to the opponent. And the secretary, uh, Eustace, didn't really understand who won and kind of put it out there that, oh, it, they didn't they didn't win. The press didn't really cover the battle at first. And when they did finally cover the battle... Uh, most American papers said that they were defeated. And so public outrage uh, over the Shawnee attacking Americans, you can imagine how much it's growing. And so uh, the U.S. is at a pretty high tension point, I guess you could say, with the United Kingdom. And a lot of Americans are like, hey, uh, British, this is your fault. Um, you supplied them with firearms. You're inciting violence, which, if you remember, is what a lot of the... War of 1812 did come about from. And Congress actually goes as far as to pass resolutions condemning the British for interfering in domestic affairs of the Americans. So I guess technically, yeah, the, they were foreign if they, the Native Americans were foreign to the Americans. But still, uh, it doesn't take long before 1812, June 18th, 1812, precisely. U.S. government says we're declaring war against the U.K. And um, there you go. There's the War of 1812 for you. Yeah. <laughs> so there are a lot of exploits from the War of 1812 all the way until he becomes president. And we'll cover that in the next episode of Election College. Hey, gang, many of you know how much we appreciate each and every one of our listeners. You guys are the best. And we are especially appreciative of those of you who have said, yeah, we're going to vote for that podcast. And what you're doing is you're voting with your dollars and you have become patrons on our Patreon page. If you would consider for as little as a dollar a month, that's like 11 cents an episode. When you support the podcast, it helps us offset a lot of the costs, including hosting and, well, your on-air talent. So would you consider going to our Patreon page and supporting the podcast? You can do that by going to www.patreon.com slash election college. I added the W's for emphasis. I know <laughs> nobody uses those anymore. Or by visiting electioncollege.com slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Jason, speaking of no one using the W's anymore, doesn't it just crack you up? Uh, I'm sorry if any of you do this, but when you try to give your email address to someone and they're like, is there a capital in that? Or you try to give a website address to someone that's like, is that all lowercase? And then every time I just kind of <laughs> want to scream, lowercase and capital don't matter anymore. Uh, and they haven't since like 1997. But I don't because I'm a nice guy. 
Anyway, uh, moving on, we mentioned earlier about um, reviews and stuff like that. And we mentioned that every episode, but guess what? We really mean it this time. Uh, <laughs> just like every other time. We <laughs> would really appreciate it if you would head over to iTunes, whether you use iTunes or not, to listen to the podcast and leave us a little review. Uh, it doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be well-written even. As long as it's positive, we appreciate it. Give us five stars. I think we're either quickly approaching or have already passed 100 reviews and uh, up around the five-star mark. So that is awesome. We appreciate everyone who has done so thus far, but we would really appreciate it if you, yes, you, the person who's saying, are they talking to me? I'm talking to you, Jim. Uh, if you would go and leave us a review today. Wow, you sounded like a 1980s uh, televangelist hey, just now. Hey, you know, I do what I can. <laughs> hey, for those of you who are interested, we are partnering with Simon & Schuster Books on reading a few books, and we're going to be talking about those more and more on the podcast as we go forward. But uh, Ben and I are starting to read The Fever of 1721, and we're going to be posting some things on our social media properties about that so if you want to pick up your copy you can do that but uh yeah interact with us let us know what you think of the book where you like it a lot it's from author stephen cost this is his first book and we are reading through it right now you can interact with us on social media whether it's about the fever of 1721 or not at election college on facebook twitter and instagram Thanks for your support and for listening, everyone. We appreciate it. And we'd like to hear from you. We'll talk to you next time. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.